day from the Global Lane. Soon they'll be smarter than humans. Rapid advances in robotic technology and artificial intelligence creating a new religion. The programmers at Google are creating a god that never existed. Brace yourself, they are playing yeah. with fire. Risky consequences in the Middle East. Five American prisoners freed from Iran at a cost of $6 billion. Just think about the message that this deal is sending to people across the world. If you succeed to catch some of our citizens, we will pay the ransom. Banning TikTok on campus and difficulties in educating students about the risks. It's kind of like telling them some danger of don't jump off you know, a second floor into a pool. They'll just defy it because they don't understand. Drag queens blessed in a Dallas church as revival fires spread across the USA. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. On the threshold of a new era, advancements in artificial intelligence and robotic technology are escalating at a frenzied pace. Here's former Google executive Mo Gaudet commenting to Sky News about advancements in chat GPT. AI today is estimated, so ChatGPT4 is estimated to be at an IQ of 155. In two to three years' time, we will have two more doublings. You're talking about intelligence of the magnitude of, say, 3,000 times humans, 5,000 times humans. The IQ of one of the smartest humans ever, theoretical physicist Albert Einstein, was between 160 and 180. So AI and robots will soon become more intelligent than the smartest humans. And Sky News recently introduced its audience to Desktop Amica. Take a look. I think a world where humans and robots coexist would be an amazing place. We could learn from each other, work together to solve problems, and create a better future for everyone. But our next guest contends the better future that wealthy power elite globalists have in mind for humans goes beyond simply coexisting. Joe Allen believes our brains will be hardwired to artificial intelligence systems. It's all in the new book, Dark Aeon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Joe, thanks for being with us. So the future you describe in your book seems dark, terrifying. You write about the emergence of scientism, a techno-religion. So what is scientism? What do you see happening? Scientism, very basically, is the belief that scientific inquiry and discovery will answer all of the existential questions in human life. All those questions which religion seeks to satisfy, scientism uh, holds up material discovery as the, uh, the means of salvation, the means of transcendence. Transhumanism is an outgrowth of that. Transhumanism is the idea that technology will be the, the instrument of that salvation, the instrument of that transcendence. So this is not uncommon knowledge, I think, in our era. It's, in fact, very obvious, especially in the wake of the pandemic. Well, you mentioned that Gnostics believed in Sophia, a feminine figure that had godlike features, the female twin of Jesus, they believed. So is it by accident that one of the best-known robots of our time is named Sophia? Tell us more about that significance. So the robot Sophia addressed the UN yet again for their uh, sustainable development goals meeting. Uh, Sophia takes her name directly from the uh, Gnostic Aeon uh, Sophia. So um, 
the robot was created by Hanson Robotics. Uh, David Hanson, founder of Hanson Robotics, named Sophia after the character Sophia in Philip K. Dick's novel, Vallis. The novel Vallis has a Gnostic premise. The character Sophia is meant to uh, symbolize the Sophia of Gnosticism. And if you look at the statements from David Hansen, if you look at David Hansen's PhD dissertation, uh, and of course other figures in and around Hansen Robotics, it's without a doubt, there's, there's no denying it. Uh, they are seeking to create a sort of technological inversion of what the ancient Gnostics put forward. Well, Elon Musk has talked about implanting an AI microchip into our brain. Do you really see that happening? What would that mean for humanity? Uh, would it make us smarter, destroy us both? So Elon Musk, who uh, September 18th uh, discussed this with Benjamin Netanyahu and also a num uh, two other prestigious AI thinkers, uh, he foresees a potential future in which he said hundreds of millions or billions of people would be implanted with these in order to guide AI according to human will. And um, this is not something that will happen. Neuralink, his company, Musk's company, just got FDA approval. But uh, there are two other companies, BlackRock Neurotech, funded by Peter Thiel, and Synchron, uh, which is funded by both Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. Both of these companies already have brain-computer interfaces implanted in human brains that allow them to interact with digital devices by way of artificial intelligence. This is already a reality. Well, what about the human soul here, Joe? Uh, while they may be smarter than most humans at this point, AI and robots lack a soul. And it sounds like uh, these creators are trying to play God or replace God. So what difference does all this make? In their conception, and this is a generalization, but it's one that holds true for the vast majority of the people, uh, transhumanists, futurists, accelerationists, long-termists, they you pretty much universally see the human brain as the soul. The patterns of the human brain are what Christians would call the soul. They are almost entirely atheist. They see the, these systems as being the creation of godlike artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence. In fact, Mo Gaudat himself uh, describes it explicitly in these terms. He believes that the programmers at Google are creating a god that never existed in his mind. They are playing yeah. with fire. Yeah, it's, it's big time. Yeah, trying to play God. So what do we do about it? Um, you know, at this point, uh, given that we're talking about the wealthiest man on earth, uh, the most powerful corporations on earth, the most powerful military on earth, and all of their competitors in China, India, and Israel, and Europe, uh, I think probably this is not the most optimistic, um, the brace yourself. Not much we can do. I mean, uh, I, I think on an individual level, there's plenty. And on a communal level, there's plenty. But I think there's going to be a lot of sacrifices for anybody who doesn't want to play along with this whole thing. Okay, the book is Dark Aeon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Joe Allen, thanks for providing us with your insights. We appreciate it. Uh, very glad to. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
Prisoners freed and billions for the Islamic Republic. The Biden administration completed a deal with Tehran, exchanging five Iranian prisoners for five Americans and the unfreezing of $6 billion in frozen Iranian oil assets. The exchange took place after the billions were transferred from South Korea to Qatar. Qatar will monitor how Iran spends the money, and critics believe this is the largest ransom ever paid by the United States. But the Biden administration says no. The money was sanctioned oil payments frozen in South Korea uh, since 2019. So what do Iranians think of this prisoner swap? Well, joining us is Young Voices commentator Tamini Debazorgi of the Dissident Project. Tamini, it's, it's good to talk with you again. So many Americans are upset about this deal. How are people in Iran reacting, especially younger Iranians you know? Iran has never won a war, but also has never lost a negotiation. Ultimately, the funds are the important part of the deal for the Islamic Republic. They have been citing a lot of economic problems as a result of U.S. sanctions. However, a lot of people believe that it's not the sanctions that is causing the economic problems in Iran. It is actually the incompetency of the Islamic Republic. Uh, on the other hand, uh, overseeing these funds is going to be almost impossible for the international banks that are involved with this because uh, the promise is that these funds are only going to be used for humanitarian needs. However, Ibrahim Raisi has said multiple times that Iran is in control of how this money is spent. People in Iran and outside are very worried that the government of Iran is going to be using these funds to ramp up its nuclear program and also continuing funding its terrorism outside of Iran. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It reminds a lot of Americans, remember President Obama's deal uh, in the middle of the night that plane landed? It freed up about a bill or billions more in frozen assets. So critics in Congress, others say the money's fungible. It'll free up other funds that'll be used to support terrorism and groups like Hezbollah and then crackdowns on protesters and dissidents inside Iran, the nuclear program. What are your thoughts? Give us some more on that. Just think about the message that this deal is sending to people across the world. The Biden administration is telling Islamic Republic and other authoritarian countries that if you succeed to catch some of our citizens, we're going to come to negotiation table and also give you a lot of benefits, give you money, give you your prisoners. Uh, we will pay the ransom. And I don't think that's a really good st a strategy for the United States to approach its uh, adversaries like the Islamic Republic. In addition, uh, right now, the situation in Iran is very volatile. Uh, right now, uh, it's the anniversary of Mahsa Amini's death. Uh, she was a 22-year-old girl that was uh, allegedly killed in the custody of the morality police for improperly wearing her mandatory headscarf. And senators like Tom Cotton have voiced their concern about the fact that the Biden administration is appeasing its enemies instead of trying to approach them with more uh, deterrence force and more aggression. And you mentioned the death of uh, Masa Amini and also the protests uh, that have been going on since then for the last year. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people were encouraged. They thought that uh, this might be the end of the regime. But uh, here we are a year later and the Ayatollah is still in power. What's the future of the protests? 
Well, we have seen that a lot of changes in Iran. Women of Iran are no longer complying with hijab, and no matter how many rules that the government tries to impose, I see a lot of, a lot of resistance from young Iranian women. On the other hand, this is going to be a trench warfare. The Islamic Republic is powerful. They have resources. They have allies outside of Iran. They have China, North Korea, and some other countries in the region that are also supporting the Islamic Republic staying in power. And Iranian people have been fighting by themselves. And uh, my personal view on the matter is that I think this is going to be taking quite a while. However, we have already been seeing changes both on the ground level and also on an international scale. This is the first time after 40 years of Islamic Republic rule that we see that the world is finally noticing the Iranian people. This is not the first time that people are going out and protesting, but we've never seen anything like that. Uh, last week, we saw that House passed Massa Act, which imposed more sanctions on uh, entities that are connected with the Islamic Republic. And we're seeing more movement happening both in Congress and also in other countries such as Europe. So I don't think the hope is lost and the fight is still continuing. However, we've got to be patient and make sure that we support the Iranian people. The Biden administration should not be going forward with negotiations with the Islamic Republic because that is only going to set back the movement. Iranian President Raisi was allowed to come to New York. He was going to visa to speak at the U.N. and then meet with government leaders at a time when the Islamic Republic is restricting U.N. inspectors from visiting nuclear development sites. So what do you think? It seems like Iran's getting closer and closer to building a nuclear bomb. What should be done to stop them? I think it's really shameful that something like this is happening and this further delegitimizes international organizations like United Nations because they're allowing people like Raisi and governments like Islamic Republic having a seat at the table next to United States and leaders of the free world and giving them equal voice and opportunity. Okay, Tamine Debezorgi, it's good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate your insights. Thank you. Banning TikTok. More than half of the states here in the U.S. have banned the popular Chinese-owned app from government devices. And Montana's ban on all devices, government and personal, takes effect in January. A growing number of colleges and universities have also blocked TikTok access on their Wi-Fi networks. Legal challenges are now underway. Well, here to explain more is Jeff Berman. He's founder of the uncensored web browser Tusk. Jeff, thanks for joining us. So are these states and universities overreacting? Supporters say that TikTok, uh, there's no evidence that the Chinese are using it to collect data and spy on Americans. What do you say? Well, I say I don't trust the Chinese. So they, you know, they will lie to you every time they want to. Their goal is to take over America in some fashion and install a much different looking society than we have. And obviously, if the kids don't understand what that looks like, they ought to do a little study on it. But in this case, you know, and I'm for freedom of speech, in this case, when it's so dangerous uh, and in the fact that they are infiltrating, I mean, I see them on TV now with ads. Uh, it worries me a lot. Let's talk about college students. They love TikTok, sharing videos on the platform. And Many are probably unaware of the security risks or they don't seem to care about it. So what do you tell them, Jeff? How, how do we turn this around and their lack of knowledge or concern? How do we inform them? Well, that's a difficult situation to do. I thought when the government, the, when the federal government had taken this up, 
that um, they would come up with something either, you know, TikTok has to uh, put a, all of its servers in the United States and cannot top it, tap it from China or something uh, that would give us a lot more or ban it. Uh, but, but just telling kids the danger of it, it's kind of like telling them some danger of don't jump off, you know, a second floor into a pool. They'll just defy it because they don't understand and at this point, they don't really want to understand it. So I think the, I think going to the students and explaining it to them uh, is much like uh, going and being a conservative on their campus, and they're not about to listen to you. Well, who do, who do they hear it from then? I mean, the, the colleges and universities, as we mentioned, many are banning TikTok but, uh, from their Wi-Fi services, but they, they don't really uh, explain why they're doing that. I mean, the students have no idea. They just know they can't access it. I think it's going to be very difficult just to talk them out of it. And if they don't ban it, maybe you have to ban it statewide. Maybe you have to go to Apple and uh, Android and say that's the ultimate solution, which is it doesn't work on the phones any longer. It's well, as easy as that. And they do it. it. It isn't working because there are legal challenges already underway. I'm thinking of uh, Montana and their ban. Can government prohibit people from using an app? What about censorship, freedom of speech? Where did that go? Yeah, it's as I as I started off the conversation. It's a difficult one uh, because there is a freedom of speech, and and that's what's great about America. On the flip side, this is a known, uh, I'll say, adversary. Enemy is probably not quite the right word, but adversary to America as of today. And I think something has to be done to protect. As I said, uh, government has to come down and say, okay, TikTok, you can operate. You can take, you know, your your profits, but you can't, uh, and that that's a little hard to swallow because what are they doing with their profits? But um, you know, you you really just can't operate freely here. Well, I think Donald Trump uh, suggested uh, why not make it an American company, sell it, and uh, have Americans own it. But you're the founder of Tusk. Tell us about what you're yeah. doing uh, to counter censorship and to promote free speech. Yeah, so it's very important, and I hope people understand it's kind of subtle. When you're on the on the web, uh, let's say you're on Google or you're on Bing or any of the others, DuckDuckGo, they're all liberal, and they're giving you a liberal spin, and they do it very subtly. So what they do is they kind of hide the information you're looking for, and they put it on page three or page four, and you never get to see it because you, because they know you're not going to go past page one. So what we've done is we've built a browser and search engine that, first of all, gives you a conservative news feed. That way you don't have to go looking around or building it yourself. Second, it gives you easy-to-use tabs that will lead you to popular conservative news briefings uh, and articles. And then the third thing we've done is we've actually built uh, a search that allows you to see left, right, and center. We're making great gains so that you can see all sides of the, the argument which I, we're heading into school shortly. We have a deal that we're pending, and we think this is the place we've got to teach our kids to look at both sides of issues. Okay, some good thoughts from Jeff Berman, founder of Tusk. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate you joining us. Hey, great to be with you this morning. Thank you. On Sunday, September 17th, millions of Americans left their homes to attend church services and corporately worship God. But I doubt few experience a church service quite like this one in Dallas. 
drag queens from the anti-Catholic Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence were invited on stage during the 10 a.m. worship service to receive a blessing from the congregation. Church leaders at the Cathedral of Hope wanted to affirm how the drag queens had contributed to the community in inspiring ways. Folks, this should not have taken place in a church. Yes, Christians should show love and respect for all people, but drag queens on stage in a church? Churches that ignore Christ's command to go and sin no more, those that try to be culturally correct and relevant, enable and perpetuate ungodly behavior. Meanwhile, 400 miles south of Dallas, revival is breaking out, this time at the Corpus Christi campus of Texas A&M. At least 124 students recently received Christ, and they were baptized. One youth pastor says students are being baptized daily. There's no sign of revival slowing down. It follows a revival that broke out at the Texas A&M College Station campus last winter when hundreds were baptized and students witnessed healing miracles. Aggie student Jordan said he saw a lame man rise and walk. He mentioned that nobody in his 20 years of life had prayed for his legs before at all. Nobody had ever prayed for him. Man, just as the body of Christ, we, we pulled the braces off and we prayed. And we prayed for his legs. And we prayed for strength within his bones. And if he gets up, he's like, I want to try to walk. And he gets up and he walks 20 feet. He's walking without his crutch. He's never Amen. done this before. Oh, he's like, my goodness. Walked. He walked. It wasn't the most graceful thing. He walked. Folks, it isn't only happening at Texas A&M. Earlier this month, more than 200 students were baptized during a spontaneous wave of God's Spirit at Auburn University. And 282 people were baptized in one day in Arden, North Carolina. By the way, those North Carolina baptisms, they occurred on the same Sunday as the blessing of the drag queens in Dallas. Quite the contrast. Folks, as politicians debate tougher gun laws, more police, and prosecutorial crackdowns as ways to solve America's crime wave, we need to keep praying that this revival continues to spread and intensify. Horrific robberies and assaults like this one at a gas station in Seattle's Normandy Park would become less frequent if more Americans turned to Christ and experienced the joy, love, and peace that only He can bring. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, Rumble, and our broadcast affiliates. Until next time, be blessed.